It's good stuff. No five-minute sermon today, folks. Sorry. <laughs> hey, the Texans are playing tonight. We're okay. There's a, there's a, a quote that I want you to, to chew on with me that I've been chewing on for a couple of weeks. It's, it's from C.S. Lewis. He says this, he came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has by what I call good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else, nothing else. So if, if we're to be this little Christ in the world, what does that look like? What does that look like? So I have to tell you, this has been an amazing weekend, and this service so far is just the, the cherry on top. I mean, all my sports teams are winning big time. We had an awesome day yesterday of kids playing soccer. Briley chases the pile around where the ball is, and Noah's really into it, and uh, just a beautiful day. We're sitting there on the sidelines uh, yesterday, and uh, we're cheering on Noah, and I look over, and there's this, this family that's there. And I've noticed them before. It's, it's a, it was a couple, and this, yesterday the dad was coaching, and the mom is cheering on the son who's in the game. His name is Thomas. He's a little African-American little boy. And uh, then she's got another little boy with her. His name is Sam. He looks like he's about five years old. And then beside them is Gabe. And Gabe is special needs. You can just tell that, you know, the way he, he walks and the way he moves, he has braces. He's a special needs young man. And he's with the group. And then, and then there's this other girl that I didn't, haven't noticed with him before. She's a, she looked like she was possibly from, from Korea. And I noticed immediately that she's, she's blind. And she is with, with the family. And just saw this amazing scene where she sits down on little Sam. He looks like he's you know, five years. sits on her, his lap. And he's just snuggling with her in the chair as they're watching Thomas play this game. And I, I just look over, and, and I've seen this family before, and I've said, Melanie, these people have to be Christians, all right? They have to be Christians. It was just a beautiful scene. And finally, I just got past the awkwardness. I just had to go up to him and say, ma'am, what is your story? I mean, this is, and I kind of tried to defuse the awkward situation. And it was like, you know, I'm a pastor at a church, and I just, what is your family story? And she said, we feel like God has called us on a mission. We are on a mission to adopt special needs kids and to make them a part of our family. And I am like a wreck, okay? It's like 100 degrees, and I'm just like, this is the most beautiful thing that I can imagine seeing. And I'm trying to pull it together in, in, in the middle of this game and, and encourage this lady and, and say, God bless you. You are inspiring. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And I'm sure she probably thought I was weird and awkward, but I just couldn't help it. I couldn't help. It was just a beautiful scene. I'm kind of an emotional mess. I, I don't know if you know this. I'm kind of a crier, uh, and that's okay, I think. Uh, I have a sweet friend here that uh, I think it was about six months or so into me uh, preaching. She gave me a gift of handkerchiefs with my initials on it. <laughs> at first, I was very, like, thank you. And then at the same time, I was like, so I do cry a lot. Uh, thank you. Um, my, I get that from my parents, by the way. Uh, they're going to be here next week, so you can look at them next week. You don't have to say this to them, but just kind of say it in your mind. They are both like ugly criers. Uh, they cry all the time, my dad and my mom. My dad at times, like, we're praying for like a meal, like, you know, God is great kind of moment, and he will just get into the prayer and start thanking God, and he's just like, we'll hear silence and just snorting uh, because he just, 
we're just criers, okay? And, and one year, I remember specifically, we, we get this movie, maybe you've seen this movie before, we rent it on DVD, and, and maybe it was VHS at the time, this movie, Rudy, I don't know if you've seen it before, it's this boy who, uh, who he uh, wants to go to Notre Dame, he wants to play football at Notre Dame, and he is five foot nothing, and he weighs 100 and nothing pounds, and he says, I'm going to walk on, I'm going to be a linebacker at Notre Dame, okay, which, you know, at the time, not so much in, anymore, but the powerhouse of that day, I'm going to go and I'm going to play football for them, and everyone around him is like, you're crazy, there is just no way this is going to happen. He goes and, and goes to, to school nearby, and he has to work hard. And tra- you know the whole story. It's amazing. And he's like, I just, go, I just want to get on the field. And he practices so hard, and he's so just determined that the coach puts him on the practice squad. squad. And after a, a little bit of time, the, the coach at the time says, all right, if you, just every single, if you keep going every day to the practice squad and you keep putting it in, we're going to put you into the lat to a game your senior year. Well, that coach leaves, and the next coach, coach comes in, and he doesn't want to honor that promise because you only can dress out so many people. And they didn't, he didn't have room for Rudy on the roster. So one of my favorite scenes in, the, in, the, in the, the whole movie, what happens? What does the team do? How do they respond when they hear about little Rudy not being able to play? This scene right here. You're an All-American and our captain. Start acting like it. I love that line. I believe I am. And did you catch the Easter egg in the whole thing? You know what an Easter egg is? It's like this little hidden thing in a, in a picture. What's the hidden thing in the picture? You see it now, don't you? I've watched this movie a dozen or so times and never picked up on that. Right there is the cross, right behind his shoulder as he's saying this, this awesome phrase, this awesome line in the movie. So turn over to Philippians chapter 2. And right in there, we're going to jump into Paul's words, thinking about these things that we just heard. And it says this, if you don't have a, a Bible with you this morning or an, the app, just you can follow it on the screen. Paul says these words to the church there, therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing, sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with others, we have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, amen. That's good stuff. Did you pick up on it? Paul says this, if you've been united with Christ, if you have experienced God's love, if you have any compassion, any tenderness, if you know what this Jesus is all about, then what? Then become like-minded. Become like Christ. Become like the one that we have seen this person live and give us an example of 
become like him, become a servant, putting others in front of yourself. There's another movie that I watched uh, that I got very emotional watching. Maybe, in, maybe you've seen it before, The Passion of the Christ. It's been about a decade now. Do you remember watching those scenes from the movie? What were some emotions, some things that were going through your mind? I mean, I remember it being just quiet for most of the movie. And sometimes I would hear sobbing from people. At times, I wanted it just to stop. I, just wa- I didn't want to see anymore. And then there were other times where I thought, how could someone love me that much? How could someone love me that much? How could someone give their life for me and care for me that much? And if you don't know Christ, that is the kind of love that he has for each one of us. It's a self-sacrificing love, a, a servant's heart love. And this isn't an act. This isn't a show. This isn't just a, hey, do what I say and not what I do. This is God in the flesh who came down to this earth and died for you and for me so that we can have life. And he says this, Paul says this, if you've experienced that, then be like Christ. Be like Christ. Give your life to others. Give your life in just humility of serving other people. But we know there's a problem with that, don't we? The problem is this, and Paul says it, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or or vain conceit, and he hits it right on the head. We know it. We are surrounded by a world that is full of selfish ambition and vain conceit. You've had it in your mind and in your eyes and all around you all this week. We have a culture that is obsessed with self all around us, and we believe that Life is, the motto of our, our life is this, you've got to look out for number one. You've got to put yourself first. Take care of you and worry about others, maybe if you have time, in the craziness of your life, maybe sneak in some time for other people. It's all about your needs, your wants, your pleasures, your desires, all the time. Melanie went on a tri- girl's trip this last summer to New York City. And uh, she sent me a picture one day of someone she bumped into after a play. It was George Costanza. She ran into George, whose name is, actor's name is? Jason Alexander. Very good. And uh, George, I think she knew that I would like this because I love that show Seinfeld from the 90s. Maybe you're catching up on the reruns, kids that are way too uh, young for that. But uh, she runs into George, and I like George because George just says and does things that people maybe have thought, but never have really lived and acted it out or said it out loud. In fact, there's a scene that just kind of just sums up George and maybe sums up us a little bit too. How do you live with yourself? I love it. George says and does things that, that, that maybe we've thought of, uh, maybe we've, we, we've done in our minds, but, but never out loud. And, and what, what's funny about that scene is that he tries to explain away the self-centeredness and the selfishness. There's a false narrative that's out there, and our, our world just is everywhere, that self-preservation is most important. Self-preservation, putting our needs first, is most important. There's a story uh, in Exodus, Exodus 16, and uh, it's a story that maybe you've passed over, you've heard before, but but I think it's one of the most significant stories in the Old Testament. It's a small little section there. And, and, and a guy named Walter Brueggemann talks about the, the myth of scarcity that really sums up this section. And he says this, 
it's Exodus 16 is, is when the people are going out of Egypt. They've been in slavery. They've been delivered. God has taken them through the Red Sea. Now they're going through the desert, and they're going to the promised land, which I think, by the way, if you are a follower of Christ, been rescued from, from sin and death and destruction and salvation, and God is taking us, folks, to a promised land, and the, the journey that we have to get there is so important. In the middle of the journey, they're hungry. And Jesus, God brings down manna from heaven to provide for the people. And, and God says this, I want you to take for that day, take for that day the manna, and then go back the next day and, and take more for that day. And on Saturday, I want you to take a double portion so that you don't have to go out on Sunday to go and, and pick up the, 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 the bread that's there. And do that every day. And, and, and of course, the people hear this good word, and, and it happens, and they enjoy God's blessing, but what happens? They have to try to store some up for the future. What if there's not enough? What if there's not going to be enough food for the future? And so they try to hide the food in their tents. Something happens. God turns that, that bread into, into maggots, and it makes it smell, and there's just, just worms coming all out of it. What does God, God try to teach them? You need to rely on me and trust me every day, and I'm going to provide for you every day. Don't try to store up. And there's this myth of scarcity is this. There is only so much in the world. So I have to take and hoard my time, my resources, everything that God has given me, and it's mine. But Brueggemann challenges us to live in this, what he calls the liturgy of abundance, that God has provided so much grace and love and so many things in our life that we are called to be generous as God is generous, to rely on the fact that God has given us so many good things, and trust that he will provide, and thus helping us to serve others. You know, self-centeredness is not a new concept at all. Uh, I think the disciples were, were fighting it all the time. I'm going to show you a quick picture, maybe a painting that maybe you've seen before. I'm sure you have. It was hanging up in a fellowship hall and when I grew up in Selma, Alabama. A guy named Leonardo uh, da Vinci, yes, not DiCaprio, uh, he commissioned and painted this, this beautiful painting. This is actually a, a print. And I look at this print and, or this, this painting, I think a couple of things. First of all, I wonder if somebody said before this picture, you know, if you want to be in the painting, you have to be on that side of the table the whole time. And then I don't know if you noticed this, but there's just like, it kind of seems like there's a little discussion or arguing going on. I wonder if this took place at about Luke 22, starting with verse 24. Because this is what's taking place. Jesus gathered together for the Last Supper, and he's told them, I'm about to die. In fact, he shared this meal. He said, this is my body, this is my blood. We, we think about that as, as we, we think about the cross. And, and we, he, Jesus has given them example after example about serving, and he's washed their feet. And he's told them what it looks like, what the kingdom looks like. And, and what, what happens at this meal? What happens? Verse 24, they begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And I wonder in this picture if Jesus is like rolling his eyes. Have you heard anything that I have said? Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, not in the kingdom of God. 
not in the way that we go about our business, for I am among you as one who serves. Not so with us. This is not how we act. We, in the kingdom of God, we are called to serve. That's what Christ's life looks like. And he says this, the greatest will be a servant. That's not the way it works in our world, does it? The greatest is not a servant. You have servants if you are great. You're not serving anybody. You got people to do that kind of stuff. Serving is, is the hallmark of the kingdom. And we are called to be like Christ. So as I've heard this word and I've been thinking about and chewing on this all week, I, I want any time that we come to God's word, any time I think the word's spoken and preached, I think there should be some practical application to how we live this out. Has anyone ever worked in a restaurant before? Have you ever worked in a, maybe as a server, maybe at a, a McDonald's or at a restaurant where you've taken orders? Uh, I have worked as a milkman uh, at the the Wind Dixie in, in, the, in South Carolina was my first job, and then I valeted cars in, in a restaurant back and forth. And, and I, I thought about it this week. It, it, I don't know if you've ever had that kind of job before, but you realize there's a big difference when you have a job like that between those who are in, the, in front of the counter and those who are behind the counter. Those in front of the counter, they're, they're giving the orders. They're asking for different things. And there's the people behind the counter, and I love what Chick-fil-A, the, the, the workers there say, how can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I serve you? What God is calling us here is, is, is this. He says it. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, in this world, but not here. For I am among you who serves. He is calling us to go to the other side of the counter. And to ask, how can I serve you? If you haven't been upstairs in our youth remodel up, upstairs, it's amazing. Pastor Eddie has just knocked it out of the park with his crew. Jack and just a slew of volunteers have transformed that space up, upstairs. I invite you to go up there. If you have kids or don't have kids, check it out. One of the things I love is he's got these different, uh, this wall of phrases. that just kind of sums up their, their core values and ignites student ministry. And, and, and probably my favorite one is this. It's save people serve people. Saved people serve people. If you have experienced this love of God, you're on the other side of the counter. You are, you're asking the question, how can I serve you? What if we started to ask that all the time, every place that we went? What if you went to, to, to work tomorrow and you began to think about, how can I serve others? How can I just not be here just for a paycheck, but how can I serve other people? How, what if we did that at our schools? How can I help people? How can I serve people? What if you begin to have that mindset of, I am here to serve others. I've been placed here for that purpose. And another thing I started to think about is, if we really want to grasp who this Jesus is and, and, and answer this call to be like him, to be a little Christ, we have to move past self-centeredness and move and must develop self-awareness. Now, if we can just pause real quick and have an honest moment, not many people possess self-awareness, okay, in the world. I mean, we see this all the time, all right? Now, the other people around you, nobody has self-awareness like you do, right? Okay? And oftentimes we notice, and like, the phrase just comes into mind, can you see yourself right now? Can you, do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth right now? Like, 
Do you ever, ever have those moments when you, you see someone acting a certain way or, or saying a certain thing, and you go, what were they thinking? They're really not aware of themselves or, or anything around us. And have you ever had that moment for yourself before? I can't believe I said that. I cannot believe I wore that. I can't believe I did that. I, can, I can't believe I treated them like that. I can't believe I acted that way. It's so, so selfish. And maybe you've had a, a clarity moment like that before. Uh, and so our, our, our hope and our, I think God's calling us to be more self-aware, uh, to help us kind of get a picture of what that could possibly look like, and maybe even have an epiphany moment with this, I have a video of a dog doing something funny. Uh, check it out. All right, notice dog steals baby's toy. Not a good thing to do. That's not nice. <laughs> and then, yeah, another one. And just for good measure, you know what would be great to add to all these toys? Just a nice kiss on the cheek. Now, if a dog can have a self, uh, self-awareness moment and realize that, man, that was a pretty selfish thing to do, and then self-correct, I think we can figure it out too, Okay. Now, a friend of mine has a car, and it's, a co- it's not a super new car, but he has this cool feature on it, and I love it. It's on the two mirrors that you can, there's a little light when someone's in their blind spot. Have you seen those cars? And I, I, I love that. It just kind of gives a little light, and it's like, okay, there's someone there. Let's be honest. We all are selfish in certain areas of our life, okay? Maybe it's just the question of this. God, can you reveal Can you reveal in my heart and my life, maybe with the way I'm spending my time or the way I'm spending my money or the way I'm spending my energy and my my talents, my gifts, my day, my everything, can you reveal to me maybe an area that I'm being pretty selfish, that I'm looking to be served instead of to serve others? I think it starts with that question, God, reveal in me, show me something in my heart, show me my blind spots. I think there's something else that we do. If we want to be like Christ. We've got to put this into practice every day, not just a Sunday thing, but, but every day, begin to incorporate regular selfless practices in our life. I, I believe that what, with all my heart, that what I consume, it makes a difference in my life. What I consume in my, my head and my eyes and my ears, what I, I see all throughout the week, it makes a difference. And if I consume media and social media all throughout the week, it is going to affect my heart. It's going to affect the way that I live and the way that I think, the way that I view others. The opposite is true. When I begin to spend time with Jesus, when I hear his words, in the morning when I wake up and I, I, get, I get into his word, my day is totally different. The way I view people, the way I, I, I talk to people and interact, my, 
I'm just totally a different person. So I challenge you to just begin to think about what are you consuming every week? A challenge in myself. When we come into this place, I think it's so important that we come for corporate worship, that we gather in a place and we hear songs like we did this morning and we, we declare with everyone around us that God is God and I am not, that he is a God of full grace and mercy and I want to realign my heart and my life to the way of God and the way that the Lord has led us to, to, to lead in this world. Now, I got to tell you, we're kind of going through something or chewing on something about the idea of, of posting live uh, videos on Facebook of our service. There's a couple of things I've been chewing on with this, and, and I'm just getting, this is an honest conversation. Number one reason I'm not a huge fan of that always, and there might be some people that are, are listening now, I don't like the way I look uh, on live, okay? All right? That just feels a little awkward. I just, this is a confessional, okay? I, you know, what would you think about a video of you all the time, all right? That just, that just feels weird, okay? And maybe you're used to Facebook Live. The second thing is this. I don't, not really keen on the idea of, of someone consuming church through a device all the time. Because what happens then? Church is just about me. I'll just turn it on and off whenever I want to. Just go in, and I don't even have to be with you people in the week. You're kind of germy, and you're going to shake my hand, and you're going to hug my neck, and you're going to ask me how I'm doing, and I might have to, like, I don't know, help somebody else or love somebody else or serve somebody else here. I could just stay in my bed. Yeah. God has called us to live in this community, to worship together corporately, to sing, to realign our hearts and lives together. He's done it through this beautiful thing called the church and through community we do it through giving, too. When we give, when, when, I, when we write a check every week, every, every month, whenever you do it, it, it says that God is the provider of all things, and that I am a steward of everything he has given me. And I have an opportunity to be reminded of that all the time when I give to church and to other places to say, God, this is yours. This has never been mine. This is yours. I am just a manager of those things. I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of service. We've all heard about and seen the pictures of, of Hurricane Matthew and, and the damage done in, in Haiti and in, in, the in, in the coastal region. We actually have a family here from North Carolina that has been affected and can be praying for you guys and, and want you to continue to pray for those that are affected. I mean, the numbers in Haiti of loss of life is just devastating. We have an amazing mission organization through the Church of the Nazarene, Nazarene Compassionate Ministry. You can go to ncm.org and you can give to people that are in need families that are in need of just basic supplies. Today, as you leave, if you want to, and these, these two main doors right here, if you want to drop in a check that just says um, hurricane relief on the, on the memo or, or put in some extra cash, if you want to give in that way, I just encourage you to respond. But when we give, God begins to work in us as well. When we intentionally serve, when we think about ways that we can serve other people, it, it shapes us into to being more like Christ. So I challenge you to become more aware of the needs of others around you. I'm challenging myself to open my eyes to things that are around us, people that are, are hurting and in need, and to create the margin in my life, in our lives, to help others as well. I heard a story this week about a guy in a neighborhood who just happened to notice a single mom that's, that's managing multiple kids and, and, and had a, a dog as well, and she's got all these tasks that, that comes along with life. And he just felt compelled, the simple thing to say this, Hey, can I, I just want to volunteer and walk your dog every day. 
Just walk your dog. You've got a, a thousand other things to do. Can I walk your, your dog every morning? Just serving someone, being aware of someone's needs and putting that to Af- into action. And begin to leveraging that in our workplaces, in our families, and everywhere that we go, that we look for people that are hurting, that could use a, a, a help. Or maybe just the question of this, hey, how can I pray for you this week? I, could, I can tell that you've got a lot on your mind. Is there any way that I can pray for you? Begin to, to think of it that way. Uh, Fitbit. Anybody have a Fitbit? Uh, we are really super good at, at counting steps these days. This, this is a p- 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 pedometer? Yes, okay. Uh, really good. It, it's, I think it's a great thing to count your steps in the day. just kind of keeps you, you going and, and focused on, on health. You know, back in the day, uh, the people of the day, the Jewish people actually counted steps as well. Um, you know that, that verse, and we kind of pulled it out a couple of weeks ago about Jesus saying you should go the extra mile. If you, you heard that phrase before, go the extra mile for someone. Well, what happened in that day, Roman soldiers, they had this thing called impressment, where they could find any Jewish uh, person, citizen, and say, you have to carry my armor, my gear, whatever they have, uh, into service. And you had no choice. You had to do it. And you had to do it for one Roman mile. Now, one Roman mile, they had it in paces. They had it in their mind. It was one, two, three, four. They would count the steps. And I'm guessing they would count them out loud. 10, 11, 21, 100. It was all the way to 1,000. And once they hit 1,000, okay, once they hit 999, 1,000, they would drop the gear wherever they were, and they were done. I'm out. I'm done. Pick up your own gear, but I have fulfilled my obligation, my duty. Can I tell you that there's sometimes that I'm serving people and I'm counting? One, two, three. I'm doing this because I have to do it. I'm doing this because other people are watching me. I'm doing this because, and when it's done, I'm done. I'm out. What if, what if we stopped counting? And started being, because Jesus didn't count. In fact, he said this, don't count how many times you forgive. It's not seven times. Seventy times seven. He wasn't even giving you a number. He was just saying, forgive, because that's what he's done and how he served us over and over and how he's loved us. What if we stopped counting? What would that look like? What if in our marriages, and I do this every time I have marriage counseling, I talk about the five love languages that, that, that there are. And if you haven't done that before, I encourage you to do that. Receiving gifts, words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, quality time. These are kind of people's love languages and how you fill them, their hearts with love. What if in our marriages we started, stopped counting how many times that we've helped to serve someone else or the words that we've said? And, and okay, now, and I always challenge couples this. Don't do something or give something so that you can get something in return, some act of love. Because that just disqualifies what you're doing. Do it because you want to love and you are serving and you are giving. What if a husband and a wife just were constantly seeking to serve and love one another? What would that marriage look like? What would it look like? What would marriages across our country look like if that were to take place? Beginning to, to stop counting and start being. I heard a story this week, and it, it's, almost, it's almost too crazy to believe, but I checked it, and I double-checked it. There's a guy named John Harper. 
and he was a widow. And John Harper uh, was 39 years old. His wife had passed away from Scotland. And he boarded a ship one day traveling to the United States in 1912. He was on a ship uh, with his sister and his six-year-old daughter. And the ship, the name of the ship was the Titanic. And he gets into the boat, and they're, they're heading over to the, the U.S. And, of course, we know the story. In the middle of the night, the ship hits an iceberg. And as the ship is just falling apart and people are flooding into the the lifeboats, John was able to put his sister and the six-year-old into one of the boats. But he didn't get into the boat with them. He goes back onto the ship and he goes room to room. And he starts to tell anyone that he can come in contact with that God loves you. That God loves you and and, and he begins to share the gospel with anybody that he comes in contact with. And he begins to say this, Believe in the Lord, in the name of the Lord, and you will be saved, anyone he could find. And he knew what was coming. He knew the inevitable was coming as the ship broke apart, and suddenly people were tossed into the the cold, frigid sea. And as he went into the water, he actually had a life jacket on that night. And what did John do? He goes from wreckage to wreckage, and he begins to share the gospel with people on these different floating pieces of, of, of wood and things from the ship, he went to the life boats and he began to ask this question, is anyone a Christ follower? Is anyone a Christian on the boat? Would you give up your seat for someone who is not? Would you give up your seat? Can you imagine being in one of those boats and the, the, the things that you would see around you, the sounds that you would hear? You'd almost want to cover your ears and your eyes, but not John Harper. He jumped in the water with his life jacket on, he went to one person after another. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can be saved. Do you believe? And someone would say, yes. And he'd say, praise the Lord. And he went to one person that was floating on, on a piece of wood, and he said, do you believe? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can be saved. Do you believe? And the man said, no, I, I don't believe. I don't believe. And John took off his life jacket, and he gave it to the man. And he gave it to the man, and he swam off to try to find someone else. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the man witnessed him witnessing to someone else. Do you believe? And, and the person said, yes, I believe. Praise Jesus. He comes back to the man he gave his life jacket to. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you will believe in his name, you will be saved. And the man said, yes, I believe. I believe. And John said, praise the Lord. Praise God. And he began to swim to find someone else. And the man with the life jacket watched John. As he began to experience hyperthermia, he began to sink into the ocean, never to be seen again. And that man said, I was the last convert of John Harper that night. When they started to clean up the, the wreckage, there were two lists that were posted by the White Star ship line. And the, the list had these titles, known to be saved and known to be lost. You see, John Harper knew something that night. There were three classes of people on this boat, but there are only two categories of people in the world. People that are known to be saved and people that are known to be lost. So my question for you today, if you would just bow your head and and close your eyes and just begin to, to have a conversation with God, let me ask you that question, this question. What list, what list are you on? Are you on the list that's known to be saved? Or if you would be honest with yourself this morning, 
you haven't asked Christ into your life. You aren't living for him. You haven't reciprocated the love that he has shown you through the cross. And you have rejected that. And you say, I am on that list that says, known to be lost. Today is the day of salvation. Right now, right in this place, you can call on the name of Jesus Christ, which we, we, we talked about earlier, we sang about. He paid it all for you. And in this moment right now, you can confess your sin. You can ask Christ into your heart and your life, and you can begin right now to live anew. If you have not done that before, if you have, but you can say and confess in your heart and your mind that you're not living for Christ. You're not seeking to be like him. In fact, you're still living for yourself. Maybe right now, today is a moment of a rededication where you say, I am going to begin to, to focus my whole life and surrender to him and live for this one who died and, and paid for my life through self-sacrifice. If that's you today, right now as I'm praying, I just call you to pray with me. God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for salvation that comes through you, through sacrifice. Lord, I thank you that you died for us, that you were raised again to new life, that we can have power and victory over sin and death. Lord, I pray for the one that's right now praying in their seat. Lord, I pray that they would ask you into their heart and life, ask for forgiveness, confess, Lord, to you that they are not God, that you are Lord, I pray that we would live our lives focused wholeheartedly on you and, and becoming more and more like you. As you're still praying, maybe you would say, I, I've given my life to Christ. But I'm in that boat, and I've got my, ear, my hand over my ears and my hand over my eyes, and I, my life is just focused on me right now. And it's all about self-preservation. Would you give your life to the one who gave his life for you? Would you dedicate everything that you do, all that you are, to the, to the hope, not in this world, but the, the world to come? Would you begin to serve others as Christ has served us? If you would do that, would you just tell God that right now as you're confessing and calling out to him in prayer? Jesus, we love you. God, forgive us for our selfishness, Lord. God, we are surrounded by things all around us that would pull us away from you, God. I pray that we would cut off ties to, to things and to people and to stuff that would pollute our mind and our heart from the way of the kingdom, that we would live in such a way, God, that everything started to turn toward you and toward your mission in this world to seek and to save that which is lost. Oh, God, we thank you so much for your grace. God, I thank you, Lord, that you forgive us, you restore us, and we can exclaim and praise today that you are the one. It's all about you. It always has been. Help us to turn our lives toward you in all that we do. We pray these things in your name. Amen.